Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. As summer approaches and high schoolers all across America count down the days to freedom, we wanted to revisit a movie from our own high school years, 10 Things I Hate About You, which celebrates its 20th anniversary this year. As 10 Things I Hate About You officially leaves its teenage years, we thought it was a great time for us to revisit Padua High School. As with many high school movies, the critics' opinion of 10 Things I Hate About You had little impact on how many times teens were willing to watch pretty young people falling for each other. The tried-and-true teen movie formula worked well enough as the movie earned $38 million at the box office. However, its real legacy was built on the shelves of blockbuster video stores. In addition to providing a new movie to define the late 90s high school experience, 10 Things I Hate About You introduced America to Heath Ledger, gave Joseph Gordon-Levitt a new path to movie stardom, and maintained Julia Stiles' position as a reliable lead to build a movie around. But can we trust the taste of teens to tell us what makes a good movie? Or is this one we should avoid at the class reunion? Keep listening. Okay, here's how we solve this one. Old rule out. New rule. Bianca can date. When she does. But she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. And I'll get to sleep at night. The deep slumber of a father whose daughters aren't out being impregnated. We'll talk about Sarah Lawrence later. Fine. Oh, wait. All right, so that was the father of Katerina, or Kat, and Bianca Stratford, mm-hmm. uh, the father played by Larry Miller, explaining his new rule for the house, uh, which conveniently is also kind of the plot of the movie. Right. The movie we're discussing today, 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. A movie oh. that is uh, very, uh, I don't know if I'd say dear, but definitely a part of uh, I, you our, know, our, our teen years for yeah. sure. I don't, I mean, I don't want to give too much away right now, but I would not object to the word dear. Well, I didn't want to necessarily I get know, right but, into the episode. Yeah. Um, sure. Why would we do that? But this, yeah, this movie, um, in addition to being a part of our personal histories and the histories of a lot of people our age, and I found actually surprisingly, when I mentioned to my students that I watched this movie, a lot of them were very familiar with it. Really? So yeah. it continues to be watched. Yeah. Which I didn't know. And it's also, I mean, it's also timeless in that it's based on one of Shakespeare's most misogynist works, The Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> Which I think you're going to have to get a little bit more into than I am. I'm not, I, I just, Shakespeare is one of those things that I am just so uh, embarrassingly ignorant of. Um, so I will be looking to you to bring in the Shakespeare uh, perspective as an right. English teacher. Uh, yes. But we'll, we'll, we'll uh, maybe dig a little deeper into that in maybe. a bit. Um, but this is also a movie that is 20 years old, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, and uh, what that means that, yeah, it's getting to be almost 20 years or about 20 years since I, graduated, since I graduated high school. Not quite, but very close. This is 99. It's I 20 I, years since I started high school. So you were a freshman? In 99, yeah. Okay. And I think I was a junior. We should probably figure it out. We, like, we've talked about this so many times here and we're still like shaky on... <laughs> When we were what ages in relation to each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sounds about right, though. <laughs> I know I was older. Yeah. How much older? We're not going to figure that, that out. That That's not going to happen in this episode. We'll figure that out later. Yeah. yeah. Do you even remember the first time you watched this movie? No. Of course, I can't say it. No, I, I have no idea that what the circumstances were. 
So I guess it's not even like we can't talk about first viewing. Do you remember? Do you? Do you I I really don't. I, in fact, I may have seen this in the theater. I do not remember. I know um, I didn't see it in the theater. My memory is one of mostly watching it on VHS. Yeah, um, and watching it multiple times, whether yeah. it's at a friend's house or, um, you know. Uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, we watched it together quite a quite a bit. Yeah, I don't think I ever watched this movie alone. Did you ever watch this movie with someone you had a crush on or someone that you had a fancy for, even if it was in the room with like the 10 other people? I'm only saying this because I have memories of watching this with my wife when we were in high school. And... You know, it just, it, it brings in youthful feelings of like butterflies and, you know, yeah, uh, I don't warm remember. feelings <laughs> of just teen love. And I'm in a very different spot than most people if they have memories of this movie because I actually ended up marrying and being with the person. So it was just funny now to like watch this with that same person as a married, yeah. being married for, uh, you know, we, we dated forever and then we and we're also married for almost 12 years now. So like it was just not mm-hmm. our high school experience. Our high school experience was definitely like cuddling on the couch and watching this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't have any specific memories. Okay. So Mm-mm. no need to go there. So yeah, I don't think I ever watched it alone. My memory is certainly not one of me ever watching it alone. It's it's definitely watching it with a group of people or right. with someone who I had a crush on mm-hmm. or, you know, it was a movie you could pop in and Yeah. Everybody liked it. Everybody liked it. Nobody but, I will say, and maybe since we can't really talk too specifically about first feelings, we can just talk about general feelings at the time. And I always did like this movie, um, but we also had our episode on Can't Hardly Wait, Mm -hmm. which was just sort of another movie of the time. um, And it filled a similar void to me. And same with like She's All That was another one. These movies that just sort of circulated amongst your friends when Mm -hmm. you were in high school that you could just pop in really any one of them. Yeah. And so my view of 10 Things I Hate About You was I always had a fondness for it. I always liked it, but I always kind of just lumped it in with those sure. movies. And they were all about on the same level to mm-hmm. me. I, so that was really my goal watching it this time was, yeah. okay, so what? how does this stack up against those movies? Right. And does it deserve more or less recognition than right. those? You know? Yeah. No. I don't know where you were coming at. No, it. I, I, uh, I guess I hadn't put words to it like that but that was definitely the way i had been thinking of it it was one of the things that as i was watching it again i was like this movie is so far in my head and so much a part of the way i think i almost that like as the movie was unfolding i was like oh yeah i I know this movie it's not a matter of when was the first time i watched but when was the last time i watched it Hmm. and it's probably been 18 years since I, i saw it I was going to say 15, but that's about right. I think 18 is even more accurate. I mean, I think I watched it. I don't, I may have watched it like once in college, if that. And I think, I don't think, I don't know if I did. I don't don't know. know Yeah. I do know that our wives watched it within the last like. Did they watch it together? However many years. Yeah. They did. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. And my wife still likes this movie a lot. Yeah. So does mine. So what is your letterbox before a rewatch? So before the rewatch, I just looked it up. My letterbox rating, I had it at a three and a half. Yeah, I had mine at a three. Okay. I think it was more like I didn't trust my memory of it. Okay. But I trust my feelings on it. Three stars for me with that was like, this is a movie I remember liking. And I've seen enough movies I remember liking to know that I can't say whether or not <laughs> I would like it Yeah. now. Yep. 
Um, I know so, what you yeah, mean. That's where that's where it was. Yeah, and also, and and I'm sure we'll get into this, but my I think part of my three and a half was similar. Where uh, I I remember liking the movie. I still thought the movie, um, as far as what I could remember, uh, seemed pretty smart. Um, but then when I thought about the stuff that made me laugh the most, I was like, I don't know if I'd laugh at that anymore. Right. You know. Right. Um, and so it was kind of like a three and a half of like, <laughs> yep, definitely a part of me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you had even said we should watch this movie for the episode last time. And I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't, I don't know. I never really felt like I really needed to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I don't know, maybe we should move into, uh, I think we should, how um, you feel now. I mean, how, how are you feeling? I'm, I am, I'm feeling very positive. Uh, I'm glad we rewatched it. There are definitely things about it that I'm like. Sure, teens would enjoy that. But then I was surprised <laughs> to find that there were things that either I still liked or new things about it that I was appreciating. Um, and it's not perfect, but I think it's better than good for what it was. Mm-hmm. And so now I would say four stars for yeah. me. I am going to be I'm exactly the same, four stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these days we'll disagree. But I'll tell you what that's a little different is I gave, I remember in our Can't Hardly Wait episode, I gave that four stars too. But I said that with the caveat or with the disclaimer that that was a very personal four star. Right. I went back and listened to that part of the episode about how I characterized my four star for Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. Where I was kind of like, I can't really cast that four star on anybody else and say that's how you should feel about it. It was totally, uh, this is how I feel yeah. about it, warts and all, you know? Uh, this one is a much more solid four star. Like, I would agree. you know, I bumped it up from three and a half to four because I do think this is a very solid teen romantic comedy. I think this is the way you do a teen romantic comedy, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it it's it's easy to lump this in with all the other movies of their time, right? Um, but when you look at all the other movies of their time, this is a better movie. This is a better movie than Can't Hardly Wait. It is a better movie than She's All That. Yeah. Uh, why am I only thinking of those two? I know there were like a million other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, the reason you can't think of any others be- is because they were they were a dime a dozen. Uh, slightly before that, you have Clueless, which is another one that I haven't right. rewatched in a long time. But I have. I bet that that's another one that is just a solid, pretty good movie. Uh, I, I've kind of understood that to be even just speaking about the evolution of this kind of movie. Clueless was really the movie that said, "Hey, we can make money on this kind of movie again." Right. You know? And then you had, that's where you had this outpouring of just these teen romantic comedies. Right. Um, and there are things about 10 Things I Had About You that do follow the template. You know, it's not completely outside the box, but uh, even where it is following the template, I think it's doing it in ways that are just a little bit different, a little mm-hmm. unique, mm-hmm. Um, and, and a little bit more interesting. Maybe even another way to put it is, can't hardly wait is a personal four star in the sense that I am not going to tell today's teen that you should watch Can't Hardly Wait. Right. Ten things I hit about you. Ten things I hit about you is one that, that as was, you just said, did you watch the Canadian version? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did actually. Uh, but so you, you, you even said that your your high schoolers are watching this still, and I think that's great. I mm-hmm. would tell a high schooler, hey, I think this is actually a really good movie, even though it's twenty years old. Right. You know? And I'm the I'm the weird old dude that just came up to a teen and <laughs> hey, said, teens. hey, teens, twenty year old movie, you should check out. Watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's let's talk about the things that make this movie stand out i think the easy thing to point to now which i would never really have identified or been able to identify at the time uh is heath ledger yeah just single-handedly mm-hmm. heath ledger 
Just that charisma. Jeez Unbelievable. Louise. Yeah. I mean, at some point during the movie, my wife turned to me and said, I love Heath Ledger. <laughs> and, somehow, and I wasn't even I wasn't even jealous because I had just right. been thinking, gosh dang, I love Heath Ledger. Yeah. I it's I mean true. one of one of the things in my notes is I don't even know what part this was. It could have been any part in the movie. I just said Heath Ledger is so fucking charming. Yeah. And how is he able to do that and still maintain that his character is supposed to be kind of a badass? Yeah. Like and, and sort is. of an out and an, an outsider. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Excuse me, have you seen the feminine mystique? I've lost my copy. What are you doing here? I heard there was a poetry reading. You're so charming. Wholesome. Unwelcome? You're not as mean as you think you are, you know that? And you're not as badass as you think you are. Ooh, someone still has her panties in a twist. Don't for one minute think that you had any effect whatsoever on my panties. Then what did I have an effect on? Other than my upchuck reflex, nothing. You know, you had this character sort of with like James Dean and Rebel Without a Cause, right? Sure. Just sort of the outsider, but... That was so much more angsty and actually kind of like, This you know, character is so rarely fun. Yeah, he's not and fun. Believable. James Dean is not a fun character in Rebel Without a Cause, right. you know. And that, I guess more broadly speaking, one thing that just really blows me away this movie is just casting, period. Yes. Uh, and especially since now we know some of these people, but right. a lot of them really were n- newbies, you know? Yeah, more or less. I mean, Joseph um, Gordon-Levitt was on Third Rock, Rock from, from the, the Sun. sun. You had he Alex had Mack in, for um, Bianca. Yeah, um, Larissa Olenek. Yeah. He had been, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had been in movies before, right. but the Disney, like Angels in the Angels Outfield. In the outfield. Yeah. And you had uh, David Krumholtz was Bernard in uh, The Santa Claus. Right. Um, yeah, he had been around, like he was somebody... Right. Julia Stiles was definitely the biggest Brand name. New. Yeah, um, maybe but she even then the... she had been at the she 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 had she was early, but she was known. Andrew Keegan was actually probably the person who had been in more movies, mm-hmm. even though his movies were like smaller too. Sure, yeah. Uh, totally forgot he was in this movie. Totally <laughs> forgot he existed. Sorry, Andrew <laughs> Keegan, for forgetting about you. Well, yeah, I looked up what he's been up to. He has like some spiritual center in California. Does he really? You know, he's doing all right. Well, and then Larry Miller's great as the dad. Allison Janney. I forgot she was in this I did because too. I forgot. I, like Allison Janney was not someone who I would have connected with. No. at the time this came out, and she's only in it for like maybe two, three scenes. Right. Um, and she's great, uh, of course. Gabrielle Union. Yeah. Um, kind of a thankless role there, but yeah. still, you know. Yeah, and that's probably a, an issue we could talk about with this movie, <laughs> the, the the characters, the people of color. Um, well, hey, but you know, a little bit, I'll, I'll give it a little bit of a credit to at least acknowledge it a bit with the uh, yeah. with the English teacher yep. and how he kind of points out mm-hmm. how, how her feminism is one that's coming from white privilege. Right, um, yeah. But that's, that is uh, maybe getting a little too ahead of ourselves and bog down the details because I'd, so. I'd like to maybe come back to that a little bit. Yeah, but. I'm sure we will. Um, now, I don't want to, I don't want to rain on the, the praise of the, the cast. But I will say that one thing that still, I, I felt it when I first saw it and I feel it even stronger, more strongly now is that L- Larissa Olenek is a weak link mm. in this cast. And if they had had a better Bianca, how much better could this movie have been? But would it have been that much better? I mean, I, think I just, so. I, I don't know. Um, certainly for the plot, she's an important character. But I think especially about, I mean, you get about halfway into this movie, and at that point, I don't think you really care about that relationship as no, much. And maybe you would, you think, if you had I, a better... I think you would, because yeah. even though Cameron just falls in love with her based on how she looks, mm-hmm. you would think 
that what he learns about her would make him be like, oh, like almost like that scene in the car. And this may be getting ahead of ourselves, but whatever, we're just jumping in. Uh, that scene in the car where he tells her like, you know, just because you're beautiful doesn't mean you can treat people however you mm-hmm. want. And then she kisses him. Maybe what could have been added to that scene is that like we as an audience, instead of feeling, which I feel is like, yeah, tell her how she's treating you. You would feel like, oh, Cameron, you're getting it wrong. Like, if you knew, if you knew what we as an audience know mm-hmm. because of what we've seen more more clearly from a better actor, um, we'd be like, oh no, don't! And then when she kissed him, it would be like, yeah, instead of like what it is, which is just like, oh, the plot point happened that had to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or maybe it is in her shallowness that all it took was him saying that she was beautiful for her yeah. to be like, oh, okay, I, I like this guy, but I don't know. So that's just something. That that's like super nitpicky to put it that way to say, well, that scene could have been better. But just overall, I felt less interested, less invested when the focus was on Bianca. Right. I don't think that that's just a character issue. Hmm. But um, I mean, you can't deny the the chemistry of the entire cast. Mm-hmm. I think so that there's never a point where it's just two characters and you're totally checked out. Yeah. But really, kind of going back even more to the general idea of the casting, the movie does not work unless the cat character and Patrick's character are cast well. Right. And I just, for both those characters, Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger, I just can't imagine I can't either. anybody else of our time. Yeah, in 1989. And, uh, right. Of that age, pulling those performances off and pulling that relationship off. That is a, mm-hmm. such a beautiful relationship (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah Um, and that's way that that is a very important diversion from taming of the shrew okay which is like those two characters it's really pretty hard to watch Mm. how controlling he is because really it's in in the play it's all about breaking her will Mm -hmm. so that she finally submits to a man and that's not the case at all in this I think they're two people who are misunderstood. Their identities are based 100% on rumors. But rumors things, that, things outside their control. But rumors that they don't deny because they kind of like the way it insulates well, Because they them. understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they see how they can be used. it's sort of their yeah. out. Right. <laughs> and it's them finding an understanding in that similarity that nobody else seems to, to mm-hmm. get. Yeah. And... Um, there's a real, a much more egalitarian, mutual respect for each other. I'm going to actually steal a line from uh, AV Club writer Caroline Seed, or I don't know how you, S-I-E-D-E is how you spell it, um, who did a recent article about 10, year, 10 Things I Hit About You 20 Years Later. But she says, quote, in this update, the shrew uh, doesn't need to be tamed at all. She just needs to find someone who appreciates her the way she is, barefaced, dressed down, and righteously angry. Making both Kat and Patrick outsiders allows their relationship to feel like one between equals who bring out the best in each other as they let down their loner guards and engage in some actual vulnerability for once. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of nails it Definitely. as far as what makes that relationship great. It's not a taming of the shrew at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's a embrace of the shrew. Yeah. <laughs> you, so you speak. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's very different, say, from... And, and this is really what she points out, so this isn't my idea, but... It's very different from the type of relationship that blossoms and she's all that. Right. Where it's like the way that he sees her fully 
uh, and has his whoa moment about who she really is is when she gets a pretty conventional makeover. Right. But she's still quirky on the inside. Yeah. You know, um, that's a very different thing than what's happening here. Neither mm-hmm. one of them are, are asking each other to change at all or um, they change only out of what they realize in one another. They change mm-hmm. for the better. Both mm-hmm. of them do. But their relationship comes from a place of neither one of them, even from the beginning, asking each other to change. Yeah. You know? And it's not even just in Heath Ledger's performance or anything. Like the movie could have done this montage of Heath Ledger, like getting freaked out by feminist literature or like right. having like this weird fumbling, like almost like uh, uh, what women want. Like mm, where it's, yeah. isn't it hilarious that this man is doing feminine <laughs> things? But right. it's, it's not. He's like, just like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go to the, the, the feminist bookstore that they go to. I'm going to go listen to the Riot Girl music at the club. Yeah, and, like you, you can't know. really even tell. It's, a fem- it's not like there are stock feminist, you know, like feminazi characters. I genuinely believe that Patrick had already read some feminist mm-hmm. stuff. Like he, he's not unfamiliar with Sylvia Plath <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a changing of either character. It's an enriching of each character through their interaction mm-hmm. with each other. And I don't want to downplay this because I remember seeing this in high school and um, I will make a pretty hefty wager that this might have been in a very tame way some of my first exposure to feminism. Sure. I mean, I just did not grow with up with respect, this stuff. Like having with respect, respect and not mm-hmm. seeing it as some sort of like, oh, they're all just angry women and they all mm-hmm. just want to burn their bras. Like that kind of caricature yeah, right. type thing. And seeing this movie and seeing this character, Cat, but it kind of plays with men going in to see this movie with that perception. Mm-hmm. And then showing, hey, you can still be a man. And a badass. And a badass man. And fall head over heels for a woman who is just a very strong feminist and understands exactly why she believes what she believes. In fact. And is unapologetic about it, you know. For a high school me, that was new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a new thing. In 1999? Yes, for sure. In fact, not only can you be a badass man and be with a strong woman, only badass men can handle an independent woman. Yeah. And it's the weak men, the vain men who need that sort of docile, conventional movie version of yeah. femininity. I, I I had never really thought of it as anything that would have planted a seed of respect for feminism, but I think you're right. Um, that being said, there is still some very typical nineties, uh, homophobia, Oh, not 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 yeah. as overt as other movies, but definitely like using insinuations of homosexuality to make characters feel embarrassed or mm-hmm. other things like that. I think it's also a, t- a sign of the times that it doesn't even cross their mind that maybe the reason Cat isn't interested in dating her men is that she might be gay mm-hmm. or she might just be a different type of sexual person. Like I think today's movie would have to kind of, at least if it's like a passing line or something that would have to be like, you know, well maybe she's gay or, you know, like maybe she's not into men, you know, but it seems like this movie is just like, obviously she's heterosexual. Right. It's just that for some reason she just is above it all. Yeah. So in the taming of the shrew, the Shakespeare, what is that relationship then with the cat and um, Patrick character? The character who, is is wooing cat you could play it that he does have affection for her or attraction to her but he's really doing it because he loves challenges and he's never been anybody who backs down from the challenge and he breaks her down by literally like spanking her by like really abusing her like Mm. um 
his plan is to make her think she's crazy. So his his plan is to gaslight her essentially. Okay. So until yeah, until she doesn't know what's true anymore. Okay. And just says, "Fine, whatever you say." And so by the end, her character is like, "You know what? I'm a woman. I don't know anything. I think I love you. Mm-hmm. This whole time I said I didn't love. I, I didn't love you. I've been wrong about everything." when I talk to you, so I must be wrong about that. I love you. Like That's basically how it goes. Um, it's actually, it's a pretty gross play mm. if you don't work really hard to recontextualize it. Um, so it, it, the movie diverges from that in a, like, a million ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think um, if we go back to Patrick, the Heath Ledger character, we, we've been kind of swooning over him and saying how great he is. Mm-hmm. But I think it really does hurt, even as an audience watching it, when he says you're forgiven to her. Uh-huh. Where'd you get a tux at the last minute? Oh, just something I had, you know, lying around. Where'd you get the dress? Oh, just something I had, you know, lying around. <laughs> Listen, I'm really sorry that I questioned your motives. I was wrong. You're forgiven. Okay. Ready for the prom? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. I think part of what hurts so much about that is that she basically had him nailed. Yeah, she was right. She was completely right. And instead of him just saying, I got something I got to tell you, you know, he just kind of says, you're forgiven, you know. Well, Which, he, he does. So, I mean, maybe they were doing that on purpose to bring in a part of that sort of like gaslighting. Oh, yeah. Well, may, or, from, or, the or, play. From, from the play. Okay. Yeah. It felt right for the movie, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It makes the movie not oversimplistic. Right. You know? So, you know, we're, we're kind of saying this is actually kind of a timeless movie, but it would be fun just to, for a moment, talk about also how 90s this yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were some things that I just had to jot notes about that I thought were so funny as a 90s thing. I love being able to date movies by the typography they use. Yep. And the typography they use for the cast at the beginning, or the credits yeah, at the yeah. beginning is that like, like messy. messy, scratchy. I was like, I bet that the name of this font in Adobe is something like sludge or like. like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's, that sort of sanitized grunge version right. of like, yeah. <laughs> Um, that definitely stood out to me, uh, the, the bright colors of it. Um, other 90s things I can just run down the list. The, the sort of clueless uh, scene about the Skechers and the Prada bag. Yeah, actually, but I was like, but the fact that they said Skechers is yeah, very 90s. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 kind of in comparison with Prada, <laughs> uh, was Skechers ever a luxury brand like that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I love that Michael... And it is a joke as far as the car, but he mentions a Toyota Tercel, and I'm like, kids these days would have to be told that that was a car. Yeah. Like, how would they even know what a Tercel is? Right, right. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I I laughed out loud that when scene, he said yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> that scene made me laugh too. Actually, a lot of David Crumhold's stuff yeah. is still funny. It is. Yeah, um, it really is. And what's interesting for car- people like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and David Crumholtz, who really are good at comedy the movie itself has sort of an off comic timing Mm. like there are times where it's like oh you you held on that too long or you cut too quickly like it just didn't quite have it and it's also odd how it had sort of a goofy sense of humor at times and other times not like there was a scene that i was like that would be more in like 
Naked Gun. You know, where, okay. Are you talking about the scooter doing, scene? Or okay, no, no, not that scene. That scene's just sort of silly and weird. Mm-hmm. Like almost like they were hedging their bets on what teen, what would make this a good. That's teen exactly movie. what they did. I watched some of the special features, and oh, really? they talked about you know they had on the writers Karen McCullough and and Kirsten Smith, and they were talking about how they got paired up with Gil younger or younger younger must be how you pronounce sure. it that's the director gil yeah. younger and he had really just done tv and sitcoms and the studio paired them up because it was basically like this is a really smart script and we want a guy who can maybe bring in some you know lowbrow low but kind of male humor like they thought out on the special features said we wanted to have someone who could bring that kind of male humor into this as well well that's what you get you get a scooter that falls down a hill and he says my balls which by the way worked really well on me in high school <laughs> Uh, well, the scene that I was thinking of is when Bianca yeah. is um, doing archery in gym class, mm. and, oh, and then she he, just yeah. absentmindedly shoots the arrow, right. and it hits the coach in the butt. I'm like, that sort of like absurd comedy mm-hmm. is out of place here, but it's definitely influenced by other comedy of the time. Yeah. The same thing is, happens, uh, which is also, we can talk about whatever troubling things might be about this scene, but where she flashes the teacher. But what was very 90s and also kind of that absurd humor about it is that she does that and you get that guitar squeal. like (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Think about it. Um, They're looking left and we're running right. Bang, we score. We win. Okay, but how do we get them to look left? Um, Like this. Now that you've seen the plan, I'm gonna go and yeah, like yeah, that's that's definitely what you had to do to let the audience know this is supposed to be funny, you right. know? Like, don't, don't think about it. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene is troubling, especially as a teacher. I'm like, no, what? No, yeah, <laughs> would never, should never talk right, to an right. adult <laughs> like that. Well, that was something even um, our listener Eric brought up was yeah. that scene, and he he had a lot of like he really liked this movie, even though he even admitted this was a movie that was not anything like he would normally be yeah. uh, interested in. Mm-hmm. But he, even he mentioned like if you flash your teacher, it seems like you'd get in pretty big trouble Just for leave doing the some- room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a weird scene. So. You know, since we were talking about the comedy that doesn't work, what what was some of the comedy that you thought, you know, I guess worked really well? Michael's neurosis is is still funny to me. It's a lot of one-liners. And I think it's David Crumholt's performance, yes, really. But... It is also a physical performance. I laugh so hard yeah. every time he crosses the track field and the whole track team just like runs into him. <laughs> yeah. Although I wonder, how many things are scheduled for that field? I know, like, like archery, soccer. The gym class, the tra- soccer practice, marching band practice, track practice. Yeah, well, you, you got and, the one field, you got to make And everybody's it. there watching, like on their lunch. Weirdly, other things that I thought were funny. Um, the face of Bogey is yes. still so oh, funny. Man, what a what a face! <laughs> what a unsung hero of that movie <laughs> is. I mean, when he his face after he hits it's somebody so- <laughs> with the golf ball, his face when he says that must be <laughs> Nigel with yeah. the Bree. Which did you notice that when they opened the door, Nigel's there with the Bree? <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> they pa- they like passed my yeah, yeah, he's like the, the he- <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't notice that at all. Now, there isn't any 
full scene in the English classroom that I think is funny. Like, I don't think beginning to end it's funny, but there are always moments in those scenes that I think are funny. Now, are you talking about uh, Daryl Mitchell's, mis- you know, the, the teacher yeah, Mr. character? Mr. Morgan, is yeah. that his name? Yeah, Mr. Mm-hmm. Morgan. Hey, hey, I'm Mr. Morgan. Is there any chance we could get Kat to take her Midal before she comes to class? <laughs> Someday you're going to get bitch slapped, and I'm not going to do a thing to stop it. And Kat, I want to thank you for your point of view. I know how difficult it must be for you to overcome all those years of upper-middle-class suburban oppression. Must be tough. But the next time you storm the PTA, crusading for better lunch meat or whatever it is you white girls complain about, ask them why they can't buy a book written by a black man. That's That's right, right, Mom. Mom. Don't even get me started on you two. Anything else? Yeah, go to the office. You're pissing me off. What? Mr. Morgan. Later. I was like, Brian's going to think about that one <laughs> as an English teacher. I, uh, I, I probably haven't I've probably said something similar to what he says. Yeah. This is changing gears a little bit, but uh, as far as things that work or don't work, how's that singing scene work for you? Um, You're forgetting if it's been a while since you've seen it. It's the scene Frankie where, Valley, where yeah, uh, Heath Ledger sings and... Yeah, he sings from the the PA system of the stadium to Cat, who's in soccer mm-hmm. practice, and he sings, he, uh, "Can't take my eyes off of yeah. you." Um, okay, so I remember in high school, I hated that scene. Uh-huh. I think now, I, I can't say whether I think it works. I know it does work for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, for me, I don't know if I if I can say whether it works or not, but I can point out a few things that I think the movie does that mitigate whatever yeah. <laughs> issues I have with it. I think we might be on the same page. A couple things. So first of all, it's super awkward when he starts. Yeah. But it's supposed to be, right? Because the whole point of him was to be vulnerable. Right. That was the point. Like it, That's his way of making up for when uh, she tries she, to yeah. kiss him. So it starts awkward, but I'm kind of like, all right, I can give it a pass because that's kind of the point. Yeah. The second thing I think saves it for me, at least I a little bit. I almost don't give it a pass. I almost give it credit. Like, Thumbs up, yeah. Yeah, right. nice, nice yeah. work for making this not a perfect performance. Right. And we've talked about this when we, when we did our Pitch Perfect episode, that singing yes. spontaneously coming up, it always makes me feel awkward. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just me and that's just my thing. The other thing that I think helps is the fact that the marching band sounds like a marching band. Right. Not perfect. Yeah. Um, and it's not even like, this is a weird... Uh, sort of technical thing, but the mix is a little off, which is what it would be if you had a marching band that wasn't mic'd and he's doing his vocals over a piece. This is getting really technical, <laughs> but yeah, this is what this is what people tune in for. So I like that. I like that it's supposed to feel kind of awkward. Can't take my eyes off of you. <laughs> So it works because it doesn't work. I think Julia Stiles' facial expression of how like she's sort of won over by it feels very sweet and touching. Yeah. And I think another uh, a way it could have gone wrong is if it had been perfect, mm-hmm. you could say she's like won over by the performance. Yeah. But she's supposed to be won over by his vulnerability. So right. the fact that it's not perfect, it's not like, wow, yeah. I'm impressed by him. She's like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Another thing I kind of like about it is that uh, the movie sets up a scenario where you don't have to have that generic 
hug or kiss where they meet because he's in trouble. Right. <laughs> Security guards are coming after him. And I think what's really interesting is they somehow, and this is Heath Ledger again, he somehow makes that look smooth. Yeah. He makes it look smooth that it almost looks like it's a dance or a step routine, but it's actually him trying to sidestep Run the security away, yeah. guards who are coming after him. Yeah. Um, and then, that the, is and then they don't ever when, have to actually physically meet up because of that. Yeah. You know? That's a really great point that there yeah. isn't that sort of artifi- artifice of that emotional, yeah. you know, I guess release, but, but um, they are getting right up on the precipice there with me, mm-hmm. you know, like as far as like, does this work? Does this not work? I, I don't think know. It, I think they time it well. They don't take it on for all that long. They take it long enough awkward at the beginning but once it clicks in it's not like oh now we get why this is a good performance it's like (laughs) it's still sort of awkward and then it ends soon enough yeah and for me it almost starts working more when he's running away from Mm. the cops and he he doesn't just bolt he still is trying to be like i'm here for you like Mm -hmm. it almost adds to his character's believability that he would stick with her not getting caught isn't the point I was doing this for you. If I get caught, I'm still doing this for you. Yeah, it it does work. I'm not taken by it, but I don't think you're really supposed to be no. in a traditional, in a way that a musical scene is supposed to. Like, it's not the choreographed dance from She's All That. So um, the two scenes we probably have to talk about as far as the ones that are supposed to be the most effective are that scene and mm-hmm. then also the where the title of the movie comes from, which is the oh, poem yeah. at the end. So right. did that one work for you? Absolutely. How does it not? Absolutely it worked. That's I, all Julia Stiles. That 100%. is hundred percent. That is a fantastic performance. Mm-hmm. It's great. And um that was a one take first take. And anything you read about that scene, which I've read more than I would have thought. <laughs> I read some stuff scene. too. I read some stuff too. Um, so that that was never the plan was for her for her to cry. Right. That's what I read as well. Yeah. And it just happened. And I love that she actually even makes a mistake. Like yeah, while she's reading. I think it. that's great too. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. Before we get into why that works or, why, or what we feel about that scene, the original plan was also to do intercutting reaction shots, yeah. Heath Ledger yeah. and Julia Stiles, where he's like confused by what she's saying and then like gets it. And then like, oh, wow. In this oral history I read, which I can't find again, I'm really frustrated by. Sorry, off mic, Nate, now we're talking about this oral history that I had read about the movie and we tried to find it and we can't find it. So maybe I'll find it by the time the the episode gets posted, but um, it just kept coming up that all these things uh, that work for the movie are, were Heath Ledger's ideas, like yeah. things that the director had planned. And Heath Ledger was like, mm, maybe we should do it different. Like it was Heath Ledger's idea to sing Can't Take My Eyes Off You. And they had a much more, I don't remember what song it was, but they had a much more modern song hmm. that would have been more commercially viable. But it was like, why would he sing that song? Then for the 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 poem scene, Instead of doing the intercutting, like they did, they they filmed Julia Stiles' take, and everybody was like, "Holy crap!" 
And then they were like, all right, let's set up for the reaction shots. And Heath Ledger's like, don't do this. Mm-hmm. This is her scene now. Yeah. Like, you don't need me. That, that was in the, the New York Times oral history, okay. uh, which we can link to in the show notes. He was even, they were supposed to give him the option to maybe even cry mm. or tear up a little bit. And he doesn't. Right. Like he just is sort of blown away right. by it in his face. And again, it doesn't, it, that is so much of a great actor just saying, this is what services what's yeah. happening. And this actually services the actress I'm with, yeah. that this is their scene. Yeah. I don't need to take anything from that. Could Heath Ledger have done a very convincing emotional shot? Sure, he could have. Mm-hmm. The scene works so much better by that character not really knowing how to react. Yeah. You know, if he had just cried, it would be way too emotionally simple. The fact that he doesn't cry is like, there's got there's that guilt in there. Like, yeah. Oh wow. Right. Yeah. I'm making her feel this way. Like, I've got some things to think about. That's very true. I just kind of this time around watching it, I was like, you know, this is this is a very powerful scene. Yeah. You know? And it is it, what it, I like it, about it though is that it is still it's not it's not the most amazing poem ever. It's no. just a very sweet high school poem, you know? Yeah, it works so well. I'm like, this isn't a great poem, but again, that's not the point. I was reading through some comments on I don't remember what which article I was reading about this movie. And it's not important because it was the comment section and not the article itself. But the comments were kind of bringing up this interesting idea about these teen rom-coms. Mm-hmm. And they were asking, does anyone else feel kind of awkward about the idea that like you're happy for these teens who are finding love, but you're also kind of sad that like these these teens are supposedly finding the love of their life in high yeah. school? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people were kind of agreeing with that. And then this other commenter was like, yeah, I get that too. But what I like about 10 Things I Hate About You is you you can picture this as being just the first of many loves. Like it doesn't yeah, it doesn't rest so much on they have to be together. Yeah. In a way they do. And they found each other. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like they found each other to get through this era of their life. And they might go on and do very yeah. different things. Totally. Se- like, there, and a good example of this is there's no sense of like, I'm not going to go to Sarah Lawrence right, because I want to exactly. be with you. Or like, I'm going to go with you to Sarah. It doesn't even care. Yeah, Maybe it, it happens. Matter. Maybe it doesn't. It does not matter whatsoever. I can tell you that plays out in reality with high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily with romance, but definitely with once high school's done you're on the path that is the rest of your life mm. and you've chosen it. If you haven't chosen well, then you're screwed. If you have chosen well, then you'll be happy with the past. But with the path. Um, and nobody acknowledges the fact that none of us took a straight path anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And if you made all of us really adhere to the plan we had when we were 18. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's insane. That's so stupid. I, I'm not saying that like teen comedies have done this, that mm-hmm. they, but it, it's teen comedies do it because it's the mindset. So for 10 Things I Hate About You to not really draw attention to the fact that it was doing that, like you could watch it and be like, oh, and then they stayed together forever. Well, that's certainly but, how I viewed it in high school. Right. But, but then when you look at it more closely, yeah. you're right. Like the, there's a lot of stuff missing. There's no concern about him when she's choosing Sarah Lawrence. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's no talk of where he's going. Right. Who cares? He, even, he still seems just as aimless, actually. Yeah. You know? And he's been aimless. So you spent a year in Milwaukee. And like, <laughs> Which you know you're aimless if you're spending a year in Milwaukee, right, right? <laughs> no, he. I, you could see the pain in his eyes at having to return. <laughs> having to leave Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah I get it. That's I where that it. angst comes from. <laughs> it's funny because I, I know in high school, 
you write the rest of the story in your mind when you watch a movie like right. this. And I'm like, yeah, and they just ended up together and mm-hmm. they, they, they had a family together and they lived so happy. And now at 36, when I'm rewriting the story afterwards, I'm like, I bet they had a great summer together. And then they basically went their separate ways, and they will always have a fond memory of each other. I bet and that's about where it I ends, bet he helped her know. pack up. Yeah. Where so many of the other movies, I think, you know, especially Can't Hardly Wait, the way that that ends with, um, they do have the postscript there, yeah. which is another thing this movie does not do. Mm-mm. You know, no postscript whatsoever. No, it's got letters to Cleo on the roof of the school. <laughs> I don't know why. No idea why. I have no idea why either, but it scared the shit out of me because I hate heights. And I was just imagining oh, having yeah. to play. Mm-hmm. I was like that drummer. All he has to do is fall backwards, and he is dead. <laughs> that guy is dead. One, I was—I forgot how how elaborate that final shot is. No drones back then. Remember, like right. any aerial shots were helicopters. Really helicopter, yeah. Um, well, it was a helicopter. I heard the director talking about it. And so, so letters to Cleo then is playing. I want you to want me on the roof of the school. The camera swirls around pretty much until the song's done. Um, and that—that that, this is—I've got—I've got like just just bits and pieces of ideas of observations and things that like came to me. One of them um, is why the heck was letters to Cleo on the roof. Um, (laughs) But the other one was as soon as that guitar comes in for, I want you to want me and that nineties pop punk, there's no palm muted guitar, like a nineties pop punk, palm muted guitar. (laughs) And that song came on and just letters to Cleo and save Ferris. Generally, I was like, man, pop punk, absolutely has a place in my heart mm-hmm. forever. And as I was thinking that and writing it, my wife was like, she said something like, yeah, this music's still good. Like, I still like this. <laughs> and that, so that's just one like bit of an idea. Um, but on top of that, this movie's soundtrack, or starting with Smash Mouth, is actually pretty solid in a, in a bunch of different ways. One, you've got the Joan Jett, mm-hmm. I don't give a damn, um, the use of air was awesome. Oh my God. That shot is, and in fact, that was the only, my wife was watching this with me, sort of, she was sort of doing work at the same time. The only comment she made was that shot and saying, I always love this shot. And I do too. I think that is just, it's such a great shortcut uh-huh. to the thing that you would normally see as a stupid montage. Right. Of, Did you hear about this party? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, which you yeah, haven't, yeah. can't hardly wait. The graduation right, scene of exactly, them, which yeah. I like that scene, but different way to do it. What I love about this is it's not the point of the movie. Right. Get done quick yeah. and get done cool. And yeah. it was just this, that Sexy Boy by Air is such a cool song. Let's do this. It's not just a really cool song with a really cool shot. It's the perfect song for that moment. Because, like, they're getting this idea that's sort of conspiratorial. And it's going to make them cool. Mm -hmm. A little ominous, but it's also just freaking groovy. And you're like, you get into it immediately. Yeah. And it was so good. It is great. Such a good and, and props to 10 Things I Hate About You for understanding the coolness of air before Sophia Coppola. Same and, year. And, and the same Virgin year. Suicide. Oh, okay. The same year. Oh, okay. She hired them to do Virgin Suicides mm. after hearing Moon Safari, which is the album that That Sexy, that boy sexy is on. Boy's on. And I, this is full disclosure, Air is one of my all-time favorite bands ever. Moon so, Safari and Moon is Safari, one of my favorite albums. Oh my God. it is. So anytime I hear it, and I remember... Even hearing it in high school, I didn't know who the hell Air was. But like 
all it takes is all the tones of all those instruments. Mm-hmm. This is a very cool song. Yep. You know, that was, yeah, that was killer. I, am I wrong though? Does the movie open with Smash Mouth or does it open with Bare Naked Ladies? Bare Naked Ladies. Okay. One week. Because I've been saying, I've been saying it's Smash Mouth and I feel dumb now. There is Smash Mouth in it though. Yeah, there is, but it's one week that it opens with. Yeah. So, so we need to correct that. We, well, uh, but it yeah. is equally 90s. Yes. And locked into 90s. And I you know was what I mean? equally able to sing along. <laughs> right. But, you know, it was the same with Can't Hardly Wait, where it's like, I would put Barry Naked Ladies and Smash Mouth in the same camp of bands that I never liked. But when those songs come in those movies, they fit so perfectly that I'm kind of like, I, I almost flirt with the idea of like, did I like this band? <laughs> <laughs> you rewrite your history right. yeah i don't know this i i felt really good about watching this movie yeah it was a fun watch it was a fun conversation too yeah it, this is weird because i mean what are we on now episode 73 even after 73 episodes i still go into every convert every episode saying what the what heck are we going to talk, talk about, about? Yeah. and then we end up talking for about an hour and a half most of which gets cut but still yeah. like we have no shortage of things to discuss yeah. and this was a movie that i i really didn't know if we would have that much to say yeah you know? i mean we we're not going all that deep with stuff it's just, this is just sort of an appreciation episode right right anything like it's just a solid movie yeah i don't think i'm gonna go higher than a four on it no, no, I, I think four feels right to me as well. It's a great movie. Um, doesn't need to be one of my all-time favorites in that same regard yeah. uh, as far as uh, legendary movies yeah. for me. I think we're best buds. Sure, yeah. I think 10 Things I Hate About You's got at least 10 more years in it. At, at least? All right, well, yeah, best buds. And yeah. uh, I'm glad. I'm I, glad, I I'm glad, because a, this movie is nothing but friendship for me like it's it's yeah. all about like every viewing experience was camaraderie and great way to kick off the summer yeah maybe i'll maybe i always watch a lot of blockbusters in the summer you know mm-hmm. those sort of yeah. summary movies yeah. maybe i'll just watch a lot more Eh, probably not teen movies yeah no i say that it sounds does not sound fun all right well why don't we uh, instead talk about our next episode well we're gonna go back uh even farther than we have been farther than our lifetimes uh and maybe maybe we're subconsciously inspired by the singing and dancing of heath ledger awkward uh, singing and dancing uh, uh, yeah his awkward singing and dancing <laughs> no we're not gonna do la la land Mm-mm. we are going back to 1979 to watch all that jazz do, 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 do. i was gonna do the smashing pumpkins riff but um, it wasn't it wasn't coming off right so yeah and we we could not afford that no Right, so it's a good thing it didn't come off. Yeah, right. <laughs> could have been long, anything. Could have quite a lawsuit on our hands. Yeah, so we're gonna watch all that jazz, um, mainly because Nate's seen it and loves it, and mm-hmm. I have not seen it. But you know, we even though neither of us have watched the show on FX about Bob Fosse, but I, I want to say something to our listeners because I feel like if they're anything like I was, oh. all that jazz, the title itself, not very appealing to me. Right, the topic even not all that appealing to me did not know who bob fossey was when i saw it yeah uh and i'm talking this was only just a few years ago oh my gosh um i mean i knew the name you're brave to admit it i knew the name okay and i was still just blown away by this movie so i'm only saying that not to not not to give too much away before our episode but only just to if you're at all hesitant to watch this before don't let the name all that jazz and whatever 
you may or may not know about Bob Fosse sway you from jumping into this with us. It'll be worth it, I think. So directed by Bob Fosse, Mm -hmm. based on his life? Semi. It's way more surreal than you think. Really? Yeah. Like, it's it's an experience. Starring... The tremendously underrated Roy Schneider, oh, which I realized watching this movie. That's when I first knew that he was knew underrated. that he was super underrated and amazing actor. Well, I'm I I am looking forward to seeing it. I have meant to, and certainly you're right. the The title, all that jazz, doesn't. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm making a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. when I hear that title, and so I don't want to. I don't want to put up with all that jazz. <laughs> no, you're not all about that jazz. No. You're not even um, all about that bass. I'm not. You're just I, not all about that much. If you, like, force me to choose. Between bass or jazz? Or treble. Oh, yeah. I'm all about that treble. You're always looking for treble. Give me that, yeah. Looking for treble and <laughs> finding treble, treble in all the wrong places. Um, yeah. And yeah, you as are. As soon as I get in the car, I it turn down the bass, crank the treble. Cannot get shrill enough. No. You Tiny, want those ears to bleed? I want them. Yeah, I don't want... The bass to drop. I want bass dropped. Just drop <laughs> dropped. it. Yeah. Drop the bass. And you don't even want to hear it dropped. No. Where they talk about dropping right. bass, I was very excited because I said, finally, someone's figured out how to get just it out. drop the bass. Get it out of there. That is all about increasing the bass. Right. It's a little bit of a misnomer. I was quite upset to my first Skrillex concert. Your first sign that something might have been amiss should have been all the subwoofers there, because if it was really dropping the bass, you just see tweeters everywhere. That's true. I, I guess my my hope was that they were false fronts. Not not the case. They yeah. were real subwoofers, and it was very very bassy. I'm sorry. I'm not all about that. No, you're not all. And and you know, in a sense, though, you could be a little about that jazz. Because there's not a ton of bass in right. jazz. I never meant to imply that I'm not a part about that jazz. Just not all. Not all about Just it. Just a no. bit. Yeah. You're a bit about that jazz. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe after but watching But I'm all about Roy movie, Schneider. Yes, you're all... So it, it works out. And maybe Roy Scheider will somehow, you know, just convince you that a little bass is okay. Is he? Is there a lot of bass in this movie? No, there's a jazz level of bass, which is a little bass. Oh. That's what I'm saying. You're not about that bass. But you're maybe all about this that is my treble. Entry point. And all that jazz is a little about that bass. So maybe I'll I'll I'll, I'll understand the place bass has right. in music. Well, and I think what you're going to find is bass is um it's dance. That's where the dance It's hard to dance to treble and just treble. It's not. Okay, okay. I you you've told me this. I have yet to see it though. Someone just well, completely a, giving themselves over to all the it's trouble. It's so inauthentic for me to say, "All right, here, watch me dance to treble." When it's just something that happens, I run into that a lot with people Bass? who are skeptical. Yeah, no, they just they've never they've never done it, and they won't do it. What dance to treble? No, just listen to music without bass. Well, it's scary to think about, you know, and maybe that's where. I mean, you've always been a risk taker. And yeah. I just think some people aren't willing to, you know, completely yeah. jump over to that side of I mean, the people, of the EQ yeah, dial. People, people do call me a pioneer, trailblazer, trebleblazer. Yeah, people have tried to make that pun as unsuccessfully as you <laughs> just did. I think it works pretty well, Ryan Trebleblazer Ebling. I I think now, that sounds pretty cool. 
where that where that gets me uh, is oh, okay. is yeah. I am so about treble that jokes about treble kind of. I was not joking. Okay, I think you were. <laughs> you caught me. If well, you want, you can even turn. You know, you you can listen to it or watch the movie with just the tweeters. You don't need to, you know, get the whole speaker system. I mean, that's going. yeah. Uh, that's, that's watch how it on I your phone. It, you know, there's not really a subwoofer in your phone. That's true. I find it much more comforting to to listen to just the high end cranked and even like ooh, barely any mids. Mid, yeah, mids can give it that boomy sound, which you're no boom, <laughs> no. no. Even the word boom is oh man weird to me. On these microphones, that word is it's like nails on a chalkboard to you, which is actually really strangely like very treble. Really you probably like nails. Nails on a chalkboard, on a chalkboard is actually it's, it's it's again very comforting to you, and that there's nothing actually that's more irritating than just a droning bass note to me to you right you like just a droning bass note i'm not all about that oh okay it has its okay. place that this might need to be our next episode just battling it out okay. treble versus bass well it sounds like it's gonna come up in all that jazz yeah it's gonna have to there's music in the movie right music has eq and um most of the time it tries it to play both sides bass and oh. treble mm-hmm and I mean, I'm sick of hearing that. <laughs> yeah. So, all that jazz. Now is the time. Summer's in the air. Jazz is in the air. Yeah. Jazz it up. Yep. With all that jazz. It's <laughs> great. I don't know how to promote reading, it anymore. Reading from, the, reading from the press release there. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Jazz it Summer's up in the air. Jazz. jazz is in the air. Jazz it up. All yeah. that jazz. Starring Moy Scheider. <laughs> that's uh compelling stuff let us know what you think let us know what you think about 10 things i hate about you as well yeah or any of our other past episodes episodes, uh lots of ways that you can get in contact with us facebook can we still be friends podcast we're there our website can we still be friends.net yep email us feedback at can we still be friends.net send us a voicemail yep give us a call that number is i'm gonna do it without looking it up oh boy I think this is the first time. Okay. 847-306-9532. That sounds right. It sounds right. I have, there's an OCD part of me that's that you just, gotta look. I have to look. Did I get that right? Listeners, let us know. Yeah. Did we Don't get do it, right? it through voicemail because it's not going to get right. to us if I did it wrong. But it wrong. 847-306-9532 is what we believe the number is. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in uh, if you haven't by now, uh, we would love for you to just show your support. There's really the best way you can do that is free. Yeah. It doesn't cost you a thing. Well, we don't have any way for them to show support that costs money. And that's the way we like it. Yeah. Because then we're not beholden to anyone. Right. We can say anything we want about yes. bass, anything we want about trouble. Oh, oh that's where you're going. Um, yeah, we could do that. There is nothing stopping us from doing right. that. You are correct. We can talk we about bass and trouble. Our voices free of what? I'm saying free in like the the freedom of speech. Oh, I the, see. First Amendment the, crap. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're I mean, free that's to say I'm that. free to say you're that. Say that. You know what? Limit my speech. <laughs> and I, I'm right. I'm thankful that I have the freedom to say that. Right. I can say whatever I want. I can say I can say dang. I can say shoot. I love the point you're making. It's great. <laughs> 
This is just, we are unfiltered. We don't do any of that. So all I was getting at was so. you could definitely show your support uh, if you feel so inclined. Right. Best thing you can do is just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Right. Hopefully it's good. Yeah. I mean, don't go out you of know, your way. You're free to say whatever you want. You are free to say whatever you want. Um, Terrible, but just keep in mind that you're not paying anything for this show. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Before you go ranting and raving That's about how awful we are. That's a really good thing to keep in mind. If you don't like us, you can go f- find, another find another podcast. podcast. Don't. This this got way way too combative. No. Uh, we're very thankful for all of our listeners, especially the ones who have stuck it out this yeah. long. Uh, both both in the us. history of the podcast, but also in this episode to this itself. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, been fun. It has been fun. I hope the listeners also think it's been fun. Oh boy. I, yeah, me too. And uh, we will catch them next time when we, uh, you know, get into all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Catch you later. As with many high school movies, the critics' opinion of 10 Things I Hate About You had little... Im- not a mess up. It's just yeah. It's a, I'm pausing. It yeah. was now it's now messed it's up. Ma- my fault. <laughs>